We are continuing in our 40 days of prayer focus, joining with the Christian Missionary Alliance, our denomination, in this 40 days of prayer. Today, um, the focus of the devotional is on dealing with secret sin, hidden sin. It's really the idea of confessing our sins. One of, uh, one of the pastors that I have great respect for and fellowship with wrote this devotional, Ted Kang. He wrote, Confession is the Father's greatest, gracious gift to his children. It is the key that unlocks every shackle of guilt and shame that separates us from God and from one another. The focus for today is from 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10 because I, I like the context in order to understand the confession that makes so much difference. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In 1 John John himself expresses the purpose of his writing, even the purpose of this section on dealing with our sin through confession. He says the purpose of his writing is that we might experience the fullness of joy, that we might know and experience what John calls true life. This true life, this fullness of joy, John says, can only come as we live in fellowship with God. Fellowship with God involves an intimacy with God, involves sharing our life, holding nothing back, drawing close. So why is it that so many Christians experience so little or their lives are so little characterized by this fullness of joy or this trueness of life? Well, John says it's because there's something else at the center of our life and it's not the fellowship that we have with God. And though John's description is very simple in a way. It's incredibly profound. He says the issue is darkness. We have a darkness of mind. In other words, there's confusion. There's, there's misunderstanding. We're unable or we don't have the capacity to really see and understand what is, what is real and what, what will bring about fullness. We have even an ignorance of God and his word and of the truth. But more than that, John says that there's a darkness of heart. There's a darkness of the soul. The whole of the New Testament teaches this. We have a soul that can experience incredible despair, despondency. We have a soul that tends toward dark desires of evil and wickedness, of sexual immorality, lust, lying, worry, anger. This darkness is so prevalent in our world and in our lives that we almost have come to accept it. Think about this. Why is it that as a human being you can dream, you can imagine, 
You can long for things that you'll never attain. They'll never happen the way you hoped they would happen. Why is it that we do these things that we know are wrong, even knowing they will hurt us, and yet we still do them? Why do we live in a world in which there's so much emotional pain? Not just physical pain, but emotional pain. Well, John says it's because the world is a dark place. Oftentimes, uh, as I explain the scriptures to people, they say, you are such a pessimist. And I, I, I always uh, have thought through that. I'm like, you know what? The Christian who has really accepted God's view of this world is the most pessimistic of all people. But at the same time, because of the gospel of God and because of who God is, not because of what the world is or what, what I am, but because of who God is, we're the most optimistic at the same time. Most pessimistic, most optimistic. Because we have embraced the fact that the, that the Apostle John is saying the biggest problem we have is the darkness of this world and the darkness of our own heart. And we, and when you read the Apostle John, particularly in this power-packed first epistle, you realize he, he admits and realizes the darkness, but he will not simply accept the darkness. John is saying the darkness can be overcome. But he says, in a way, the solutions are so foundational that we almost miss them. What, is John's, what does John begin with? Well, he begins with God. He doesn't begin with sin. He doesn't begin with the human issues or human problems. He begins with God. Tim Keller says, all of, uh, of, in a way, all of what God is up to and what God is about is found in Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning, God. You want a solution, he says, go back and see, in the beginning. Start with God. That's what John is saying. Listen to him. This is the message, John says, we have heard from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the message we proclaim to you, that God is light. He begins with God. You know, sometimes we fail to understand how remarkable this is. <laughs> Our world doesn't begin with God. It begins with us. We live in the most human-centered time. Human-centeredness is the supreme message of our age. Humanness is the measure of all things. Either and it, and it can be negative, we're the we're the ones who are destroying the planet, or it can be everything's about us and everything's for us. The problem is if if you don't begin with God, then all you got left is human beings. See, abandoning a God-centered view of the universe means that you have to find something to replace God. And the problem is, if it's us, if it's human beings that replace God, then the darkness reigns. John starts to starts talking about how to get to this place of fullness of joy and this reality of true life. He's talking about a God, God-centered life, but... In a way, it's not only that it's God-centered, but it's gospel-centered. And that a gospel-centered life brings us into the capacity 
to live a God-centered life. Think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 10, verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Wow, what an absolutely true statement. And this, in many ways, is exactly what John is saying. He's saying God is light, which means we go back to that idea that God is pure and God is holy. And what is the holiness of God? Well, the holiness of God is not in reference to the sinfulness of man. The holiness of God is found in the devotion of the Trinity, how the, how the Father is devoted to the Son, how the Son is devoted to the Father, how the Holy Spirit is the personalized expression of the love of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is pouring out that love on our hearts. So in other words, it's this devoted love, this real love that the Trinity experiences and that the Holy Spirit expresses to us. That's what is the holiness of God. It's a devotion. And so when you, when you look at God's devoted love and he begins to direct it towards us, then it, it really is, it's, it's a covenantal love. It's a... It, it, there are boundaries to it. There's exclusivity to it. No one else gets his place. I, I've not been somebody uh, who really wrestles with jealousy. Some of that is because I have such a wonderful and faithful wife. Um, but I, I can remember this one time when she was we were young and when she was working in a restaurant. And this, this one young man that she was working with took a huge interest in her and was, was uh, you know, wanting to spend time with her and all of these things. And my wife was kind of oblivious to it. But I could see that he had a crush on her. And I went to her and I said, this guy uh, has, you know, some feelings for you and some things like that. And Lisa, you know, cut off relationship with him and cut off any time with him and you might say mike you're so mean but look that guy wanted my place we had made a covenant i have a place in lisa's life that no one else gets to have and she and and, and she has a place in my life that nobody else gets to have this is what god is talking about he says he says i have made covenant with you and within the boundaries of that covenant, there is an exclusive commitment that I have made to you. And as you are living in the boundaries of that exclusive commitment of this covenant, then we have fellowship with one another. But God says, I am not, I'm not going to allow someone else or something else to have my place. And this is why, as you walk in the light, he begins to show where you have promoted something else, maybe even a good thing, to God's place, where it becomes the source of your joy instead of just something that points to God as the source of your joy. Or it, it, it enhances your life, but you've made it into something ultimate in your life. And God says, no, I must be ultimate. You see, this is the nature of true love. This is the nature of, of covenantal love, is that, that there's an exclusive claim. There's a place that only the beloved has and no one else can have. 
And so what John is saying when he says God is light, he's saying God is love. And he has proven his passion, his uh, uh, an all-consuming type passion for you in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us in this gloriously loving way. And so when we're talking about this aspect that God is light, then his light is going to manifest affections, attachments that you have that are outside of the covenantal commitment of love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have for you. This is why John begins his message. Even This is why the New Testament begins the message of the gospel, and it starts with the holiness of God, of his devotion, of his love. To say God is holy and to say God is love is the same thing. You can't divide them. They're not divisible. God is holy. God is love. And coming into fellowship with him is of first concern that your life now is lining up with the love of God and with the holiness of God. And so what we're what we're doing here John says is that we're living in living in the light and living out of this love and holiness of God means to have fellowship with God in our life. But John says you can only have fellowship, you can only have this experience of the moment-by-moment, day-by-day love of God and fellowship with God only as far as you're willing to walk in the light. John says there are people who say, I have fellowship with God, but they really are walking in darkness. That is, a, that is to say that instead of living openly and honestly in this covenantal boundaries of the light of God and the love of God, instead they are hiding their sin, they are keeping their attachments they're, they're, in many ways, not dealing with these areas of darkness in their heart or in their life. So when we walk in the darkness, basically what we're, what we're doing is we're not bringing our sin out into the light. Nor are we trying to get our needs met by our Heavenly Father, but rather we're getting our, our even legitimate needs met in illegitimate, illegitimate ways according to the flesh or according to the world. But to walk in the light means that these areas of attachment to the world, these areas of attachment and areas of access that Satan has to us begin to be exposed. And John says, I can't persist then walking in the darkness and have fellowship with God. As a matter of fact, he, he, he really becomes very blunt here. He says, if we're not dealing with what's coming up from the darkness in the light, if we're not dealing with that, then we're lying. He's basically saying, if, if we say we have fellowship, if, we, if we're just a member of a church or we're part of a spiritual organization, but we walk in the, in the darkness and we're not confessing our sin and we're not dealing with our sin, then he says, you, you lie. You lie and you're not practicing the truth. Now, this isn't a bit like practicing the piano. He's saying you lie and, and, and your life is not true. And what you're saying is not real. So what does John say? Well, he says God's going to bring the darkness in your life into the light. Don't resist him. Rather, bring your sins, bring your needs, bring the things that are that are deepest and the things that are the darkest that you've 
hidden from others, bring them out into the light of God's wonderful grace and forgiveness. I have uh, two wonderful friends here uh, in my life who uh, have coined a phrase. Uh, Martin Sanders and Rob Reamer have coined a phrase that, that they call it a, a whole life confession. And uh, long before I ever met them or long before I ever heard that, back in 1996, the Lord led me to a whole life confession. Now, he didn't leave me there because I read a good book or had some good teaching. I got there because I was falling apart. In 1996, I had been experiencing some freedom. I'd been through some deliverance. I was beginning to learn how to do uh, spiritual warfare counseling. I was uh, uh, being trained and mentored uh, with Dr. Neil Anderson and some of his uh, national staff members. But there were things in my life that I had never shared with anyone. There were secrets, there were, there were sinful areas of my life that I did not bring out into the light because I was so afraid that if I, if I, if I was known in these areas, if these, these sins were known, then people would lose respect for me and people would lose love for me. But I remember I got to this place where I just I, I, I just couldn't go on without getting free. And so I took uh, I asked three of my most trusted friends and I said, can I just confess to you the things that that that, that I need to bring up? And so I, I was about 39 years old at the time and I just unloaded 39 years of my sin every secret that I had, every everything I never told anyone. And I had heard over and over again, I heard this kind of voice, this kind of accusing voice, which I know is, was Satan's own voice, uh, at least a demonic uh, strategy, a voice saying, if anybody knows this about you, you know, they will hate you, they will reject you, they will not love you, they will not respect you. And it was so amazing that as I finished... Uh, unburdening myself not only did I feel personal relief and a lightness but my friends loved me and blessed me and one of the things that I started to realize is I had been f having fellowship with them but I had been presenting to them a lie about myself I had been presenting myself as if I were more free than I really was as if I were more holy than I really was so in a way, they weren't even having fellowship with me. They were having fellowship with a presentation of me. And in that moment, because all my secrets were laid bare and all my weaknesses were out there, these friends loved me, accepted me, respected me, restored me. And they were, do, they were having fellowship with me, not an image of me. And this is exactly what John is saying. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, listen, then we have fellowship with one another. By confessing the reality of my darkness, my friends had the opportunity to have fellowship with me, not a false image of me or an imposter of me. 
But even more so, listen what it says, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. So, it is not an issue of legal forgiveness. By confession, you're not contributing to the fact that Jesus has already paid the penalty of your sin, that there is a legal, what, what, what could be called a forensic judgment already, that there are no more charges against you. But what confession does is take the legal and make it personal. So that you are saying, because there is no more condemnation, because there is no more penalty, no more charges against me, now I'm going to bring these secrets out into light so that there is no more power against me. See, as long as I try to deal with the darkness in the darkness, then the darkness continues to have power over my, my heart, my life, even what I believe, what I think, and how I act. John says, we discover then that the result of confessing our sins is a blessing. And the blessing is that Jesus himself has this kind of free reign now to cleanse from all that sin, every single sin, no matter how dark, no matter how deep, name it. Name what you think is the worst possible sin. And John is saying, what Jesus did, shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary, is able to bring forgiveness of all those sins. Because look at these words, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is so powerful because this isn't just that I say to myself, I am forgiven. But it's saying, I am cleansed. The power of that sin, that dominion is no longer, no longer limiting and destroying me. And I am being set free to love and serve the Lord Jesus with, with all our hearts, all our lives. See, you cannot overcome darkness by darkness. You can only overcome darkness by bringing all of that darkness into the light. Hiding sin, trying to silence the guilt of that sin or the shame of that sin, or trying even to make up for the sin will not take the darkness away. Only the light can overcome the darkness. And Jesus is the light. He is all-sufficient. He not only brings total forgiveness for that sin, but he brings the power that releases the grip of that sin. And then he says, now come walk with me in the light. <laughs> I, I, I think it can be boiled down to this. John says, fellowship with God is possible only as we walk in the light. And freedom from sin is only possible as we confess it and bring it into the light to the Lord. Now, John says, we can lie to ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. He says, if we say, you know, we've got it all together and we have no sin, he says, we are self-deceived. I, I see people acting as if they haven't sinned in years. And yet, what they're doing is they're, they're really narrowing down the definition of sin and they're revealing how self-deceived. Because they're not dealing with the places where they still live independently from God. They're not dealing with the places where they have elevated good things in their life to ultimate things. 
And what you see is you see that God touches the places where the idolatry is, where, where we've made something our source. And he touches those places and we realize, wow, I am not God-centered. I am self-centered. And self-centered people are always self-deceived people. You know, um, a lot of people will say it kind of like this. This is one of the ways that's interesting. Uh, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, don't you dare call me a sinner. <laughs> and yet John says, if you say that you're not a sinner, you deceive yourself. And the truth is not in you. But again, it's, it's taking the idea and understanding the holiness God at this deeper level of devotion. The holiness God connecting it to the love of God and being devoted to loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's that kind of intimacy of fellowship with God that only happens as you walk in the light. So, what do we do then? Well, we go back to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Some people will try not only to confess, but work up emotion. They'll try to feel remorse. They'll try to feel regret. That's not what John is saying. John is saying confession is taking responsibility, saying, I did it. Um, in many ways, it, it, it is the realization that what I did was wrong and that I'm responsible for it. Whether they're tears or emotion really doesn't matter because confession is not a source of atonement. Only the blood of Jesus is a source of atonement. But by confessing, we connect ourselves to his cleansing work. I, I have loved so much the fact of the of the completeness and the the sufficiency of his forgiveness but there's something in first john 1 9 that is so powerful and and for years i missed it he is faithful and just i was always like why does it say he's faithful and just and it's because he's tied our forgiveness to his justice <laughs> this is so powerful friends God has now tied your forgiveness, your cleansing to his justice. And in this way, the Father will never ask a second payment because he's already received the, the final payment for our sin in the death of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the Father's receipt that the debt has been paid in full and he will never ask for a second payment. So, the forgiveness of sins is settled. Our cleansing is settled. When you recognize that, then you don't have to justify your sin. You don't have to hide your sin. You don't have to you know, do self-deception in order to overcome your sin. Rather, you can bring everything out into the light because you'll never ask a second payment. By confessing, you're not atoning. You're not making up for your sin. You're not paying back. You're not promising to do better. No, by confessing, you're agreeing with the light that what you did, what you thought, what you said, what your motivation was, was darkness. And when you do that, you begin to walk in the light in such a way that you have fellowship with God and you have fellowship with one another. We receive this now in Jesus' name. Amen.